Hello and welcome to the Smell Test Podcast, the weekly podcast where we review beloved movies from our past to see whether they today, as of November, we're in Scopeburio season now, <laughs> uh, November 2023, still hold up. And by that we mean culturally, ethically, humorously, and through our own personal gut checks. We conclude each episode by judging whether or not the film we've watched passes the smell test or not. So before we get started, we have a few disclaimers. This podcast represents solely the opinion of the podcasters and is meant for entertainment purposes. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say actors are dead when they aren't. It happens. <laughs> this podcast. I feel also- like in this movie, it's possible to have happened a lot. I don't know. <laughs> I I could you know maybe um but it it does happen it will happen I'll talk about how kids are assholes I need to find more examples than those but whatever um also there's spoilers in this podcast so if you haven't watched the movie go ahead and watch it now we'll see you afterwards the movie 30 years later if we want to Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. So Coneheads is the film. Uh came out in 1993 and it's currently, as of right now, available on um Amazon Prime and also Max. I, I think it's remember. on Max. I think I watched it on Max. You can find it pretty easily on stream for free if you have those services. So go do that. Anyway, um, you might be wondering, who are these people talking to you? Well, I'm Diane, and um, I'm currently right now a PhD student who looks at equity from a variety of perspectives, um, one of those being ethics. So when I look at movies a lot, I look and go, hmm, is this moral? Is this ethical? Is this equitable? And what does this mean for the time that the film um, was made? What about you, Jess? Hi, all. I am Jess. I am an attorney, um, and my areas of interest are employment law and ethics and compliance, and I teach at the college and soon-to-be law school level, Uh, and I'm also a yoga instructor and really into moon stuff, so (laughs) so I'm looking at whether things are, uh, when I look at things and what being in, uh, whether it holds up to me is whether good and bad it holds up. Um, and I am a fan of funny and sci-fi first, as we'll see from today's movie, again, with another sci-fi movie, because I really do only like them, apparently, in every movie I pick. It is kind of funny you mentioned Moon stuff, because this movie is Coneheads, which is, um, the moon Moon's come up in this film. Yeah. They have three of them. So mm-hmm. I could see why you're into it. So <laughs> let me describe Coneheads to the audience. Um, you know, Coneheads, I would say, and this is what I figured out, was so ubiquitous in pop culture in the 90s that I had thought, I had fully thought I had watched this movie before in my life. <laughs> oh, and no. I had never seen it. But I think just through culture, what I would call cultural osmosis, mm-hmm. I always assumed I did. So Coneheads is a 1993 American science fiction comedy film. Uh, It stars Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. Uh, It was directed by Steve Barron, written by 
Tom Davis, Bonnie Turner, Terry Turner, and Dan Aykroyd based on characters from Saturday Night Live from 1977. So this film is a movie adaptation of a Saturday Night Live skit that had started airing 16 years prior. So... Like I said, I actually haven't ever seen this, but as a child of the 90s, I fully thought I did because it was parodied to shit. I maybe had seen some SNL skits. Um, But Jess, this is your movie. So tell us a little bit about your experience with this film. Yeah. So first of all, welcome back to being the first time that it's just the two of us. So we spent the first hour talking without being recorded, but we didn't talk about the movie, I swear. And um, we executive produced. We, off, You all don't have to listen to us. Mic. Make our we decisions. some shit out. We did spreadsheets together. It was great. We did. Adulting. We did. Um, so I think, so my, I have a very funny family. So the Homer side, so my dad's family is like they played a lot of practical jokes on each other and so like when my cousin like was playing in his final baseball game in his either high school or college career he was pretty good and like all my uncles went as cheerleaders for him and like you know they just kind of well not all my uncles but the southern uncles and then and so my dad's one of 13 and that family is just very close they make a lot of jokes together um the aunts and uncles still talk and it's it's kind of funny because a couple of years ago I was put on their group text because my dad had a stroke he's fine now and I had to tell them about it and I ended up on this this like wild homer sibling group text for like a year and a half and I was like what the fuck is with these people but anyway they were big fans of Saturday Night Live and so not really my parents but like I know that I watch this a lot with my aunts and uncles and cousins Cause like my uncle Eddie, when him and his wife, um, they lived in Virginia, they were the southernmost family. When they were about to have their kid, they threw them a baby shower where everyone was a different Saturday Night Live character and like impersonated like other. So my aunt got in the mirror and it was like the three-way mirror set up and she was like, and that's okay. It's normal. Like Stuart Smalley <laughs> and like one of them was it's Pat. So I'm like, good enough. I'm smart enough. Yeah. And doggone it. People, people like, like me. <laughs> and I wish I could see the video because I think I, it's like burned in my brain and it's probably better. And maybe I don't want to watch it. But anyway, so during this time, right in 1993, I'm 12 years old. I probably didn't see it in theaters. It was probably a couple minutes, uh, years later. But if we think about it, like this is very close to the time where Wayne's World came out, which stayed one of my favorite movies forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so did um, Billy Madison was only like two years after this. So this was like a time Superstar was a little further after this, I think. But like this was a lot. There were Saturday Night Live was pumping out movies from their sketches. And um and I just always loved Conehead so much. I am a huge Jane Curtin fan. I deeply love her. And I I don't know. It's just like, this is a movie that I remember watching with my cousins. I remember watching with my dad. I remember it being like a big part of growing up in the homers. So that's why it holds a lot of nostalgia to me. Nice. Yeah. I feel like people in our generation the millennials in particular Mm -hmm. i feel like us as millennials we all have some kind of 
at least one like SNL movie based movie that's kind of beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned to you mentioned Superstar. Oh, so I was about the age you were when Coneheads came out when Superstar came out. Okay. So we should probably watch that at some point because I I loved it. I um used to choreograph the dance. Um, <laughs> I love it. If TikTok existed, it, I would have been all over it. With that I have dance. to tell you, I've watched that movie recently, so uh, <laughs> I could even. That's a movie that I still watch. I so would I'm love there. to get into Superstar, but yeah. um, let's start with Coneheads. So yeah. interesting film. Um, I never. I, I I never under you know like I guess I never understood or maybe I was too young to understand the scope of this film <laughs> but initially uh the film is based on aliens who are stranded on earth mm-hmm. with cone heads with cone heads so they're bald and they have heads that are probably about a foot taller skulls that are a foot taller than the rest of us shave into a cone um but it's essentially about them being stranded on earth and having to assimilate to american culture because they were stranded in new york city and then eventually new jersey so this film is filled with a lot of allegories mm-hmm. for um immigration yes and undocumented immigration uh, which I never really caught before. Um, but initially, so the film starts right with um Beldar and Premat. So Dan Aykroyd is Beldar and um Jane Curtin is pre Premat or Pri- I think Pri- it's Primat. Primat. So um they're stranded in New York City, and so it essentially starts following them trying to figure out how we survive in New York City. So yeah. first things first, uh, Beldar starts working for um, what is Sinbad. Sinbad, but <laughs> doing what exactly was he doing? Like just general electric repair he was doing like like, fixing stuff right fixing radios and fixing car radios and like any kind of electronic stuff yeah yeah so it it starts off by showing essentially that um beldar is a good immigrant he's good at his job he's the best worker they got the best worker they have so working 10 times harder than everyone and, and, and able to crank stuff out so much better so the the idea there, right, is that he's um, he's an alien, and that's why he can do things so much better. But because he's not, he's he's well advanced past American technology. Yeah. Well, okay, keep saying that. Keep talking because I have a. Oh, so I mean, so this is how this is. I guess I'll just describe briefly what gets us to where, um, the like the conflict of the film starts you know where the where they bring the plot so essentially he's doing a great job sinbad his boss finds out that he's undocumented so he commits um green card fraud mm-hmm. tends to be a dude um 
Ronald DeCicio, DeCicio, something like that. DeCicio, DeCicio, gets busted. Essentially, they get busted by um, ICE, (laughs) essentially, (laughs) by immigration. But it was before before ICE was created. So ICE wasn't created until um, immigration. I want to say it was like 2000. Three two thousand. So ICE was created as a wars. what? Yeah, yeah. it was created as a as a answer to nine eleven. Yep, that's what I was. But yeah, yeah, this was the. So this is the Immigration and Naturalization Services, right? So Michael McKeon plays, um, commissioner, or well, he's not commissioner yet, but he plays Agent Gorman. David Spade is Agent Turnbull, and they're out to get a Beldar because Beldar is the like fifth person to use this Donald DeSico's name. Right. Now, pause here before we get to that part. I will say one of the things. So I am a big fan of stand up. I love stand up comedy. That is something I grew up on. That is something I still love. And at this point in the movie, very early on, we meet so many of the greatest stand-up. Absolutely. I mean, like at the so we have, so we have Eddie Griffin is one of the customers in Sinbad shop. Mm-hmm. Sinbad himself. We've already seen, you know, like I said, Dan Aykroyd, obviously Jane Curtin. Now we're meeting David Spade. Adam Michael Sandler McKean. is the sketchy. Yep. <laughs> Um, funny Adam Sandler story. He was banned from my college, apparently. This is one of those we don't check the facts spaces. This is conjecture. Uh, apparently, Adam Sandler was banned from my my college because he uh, had sex with a student. Now, it was an all-woman's Catholic college, so that's why it was as big of a deal as it was. <laughs> but apparently, okay. like really early on in his career, he was banned. All right, keep going. Drew Carey's in this. Ellen's in this. Everyone's in this. Literally everyone. So many. I'm looking at the cast and like, we'll get into it, but there's so many. You're right. So and, and this is the first Saturday Night Live movie that had old cast and new cast. Cause this was way, the first time Coneheads was inter, introduced as a sketch was 1977. Yep. So, so it's this been is been a while. Yeah. This is like Dan, Dan, and Dan have been out. You got 70s SNL characters. You got mm-hmm. SNL cast members from, from the 70s. You got SNL cast members from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then you got some who were there in the early 90s. And then Michael McKeon joins after this movie. So just so many. All right. Yeah. Sorry. So so basically the reason why they have to assimilate is because their um, ship's broken. They have some kind of material they need to help them fix it whatever whatever they figure out it's going to be what what is interpreted as a significant amount of time before someone from their home planet can rescue them so they're right. like okay we got to assimilate so he assimilate he tries to sinbad helps him through the process mhm so sinbad who is known as otto helps him get fake green card all that michael McKeon, so agent gorman and Agent Turnbull um, end up, or sorry, not Gorman, sorry, Sneedling was his name. Sneedling, his first name is Gorman. They end up trying to bust 
primat pre, primat i always put the emphasis on the wrong yeah. syllables but um beldar and primat they go and try to bust them and then they run and right before they got busted primat reveals to beldar i'm pregnant so this is like the opening kind of scene and then so that's the conflict we know they're not welcome in america mm -hmm. We yep. know that they are not, um, they're not welcome and that, but at the same time, they have to survive in America. Right. Because they have a significant amount of time before they can be rescued. Um, so now they're on the run. Right. So and in, in yep. fairness, there are some Americans that help them along the way. <laughs> yeah. And fellow immigrants. Um, right. All, all either um persons from other historically excluded groups including immigrants that are helping them the whole way mm -hmm. so this movie i would say overall a lot of its comedy relies on their very technical alien-like interpretations of shit americans do right like cheese is referred to as hooved mammary uh hooved mammals gland secretion mammary gland secretions or something yeah, like yeah. that yes and so, in flawless everyone they meet knows exactly what they're talking about there's like no stop you know like in the true. i know that we're jumping past I when he's that. picking the the lawnmower and she says we're gonna she said whatever like um we will light fire to and then describes animal meat for yeah, the barbecue. That we and will. She's like, oh, that sounds scorch, nice. I'll bring coleslaw. Yeah, she she didn't even skip a beat. She no. was like, "We're scorching mammals. <laughs> that should be a good time. Scorching mammal flesh." So that that's kind of how I would say that's the crux of a lot of the humor in this film. Yeah. I also think I actually think though that in the making of it also. David Spade's character and Michael McKeon's characters, people at that time probably thought that they were overkill. Which is a difference from watching it now. Like, because I think that people probably thought their character reactions were very funny instead of very realistic in 1993 as Americans understood the immigration system. Does that make sense? Like, I think they thought it was a joke. So you know how when we're talking about Carrie, the mom's like, this is a comedy. Like, no one's going to believe this person is real. Do you think them understanding the Coneheads was part of the joke? I think I think that the viewer in 1993 did not realize that so many psychotic people like Seedling were real. I think they thought it was funny. oh that's what you're, like the INS people. So let's talk. Yeah. Let's unpack that. So when we're we are introduced to Agent Seedling, um, he is straight up talking about how if you've been deported, they should put a shot collar on you. Yep, that goes off when you come. If you try and lights people on fire. <laughs> yeah, and so he's. And like at the time, right, in this the scene, David Spade's character comes up, Turnbull is like, Oh yeah, like sorry everyone else thinks you're a madman. Like basically he was seen as being insane and psychotic 
for thinking the way he thinks. And then, um, so then Turnbull's character, David Spade, is like the only person who really kind of agrees with him. But it's just to suck up to him, right? Because right. we learned throughout the movie, he just sucks up to whoever's in power. But, right. but when he was talking to, so they're in the INS office, David Spade blocks everything that comes to, and creates kind of like this abusive relationship, right? Like a little bit like, he blocks anyone else from coming to Michael McKeon's character and he wants to give him all the news so he gets credit for it. Right. But as he's standing there in this room filled with people, he's like doing like no speako English. Oh, like he's like mm -hmm. making fun of people who speak Spanish. Right. So like they're straight dickheads. <laughs> yeah. But it was and, supposed to be like funny. Yeah. How think, callous he was. Right. And how much he was making fun of immigrants and Seedling's character was supposed to be funny and how extremist he was. But right. then me watching it, having thought I had seen it before, watching it in 2023 was like, oh, that man would have been a senator by now. Yeah, he probably would be president. And right. then we wouldn't, if there was a character like Seedling, we wouldn't have this Trump versus Biden debate. We'd be just going straight for Seedling in the American population. Not me, not you, but... But no, it, that's exactly it, because it does actually reflect a lot of sentiment and mm -hmm. of stuff people say these days. Right. But it was supposed to be a caricature of yeah. all that stuff and very extreme. But as we know, in the year 2023, that is how people think. Right. Right. Um. So he's very anti-immigration and he doesn't even try to hide behind the they have to come in the right way. No. Um, and he just keeps using the same logic people use now. It, which yeah. Is, they're taking our jobs. Like the when he's later when he's been promoted and he's on a boat, he's like, we appreciate your hard time, but we got problems of our own. You can't come here. And it's a boat of black men. Yeah, who... I was a little confused because I thought he got sent to the Southwest, but maybe I missed it. It's just for the plot. <laughs> so, so it really, you know, it shows that Beldar and Primat are facing an unkind immigration system. Right. And they have to get by, by the kindness of other people. They don't really address, I would say, well, whatever, I guess this is before neoliberalism took too much of a hold. Cause I'm like, they don't really address like how easily they could get into housing um or how they could access food at for you know because oh so one feature of them they look like humans but one of the distinguishing features aside from the cone head and and weird teeth is that they eat a whole lot more than lot. humans do yeah so i just kept thinking with with the, these prices like how could you <laughs> those are 1993 you grocery store prices ma'am Right, exactly. So lots of pr lovely product placement throughout of certain oh, yeah. brands. Pepsi, you know, I've always been a Pepsi girl. And the more I see films that I loved, uh, the more I see that they feature Pepsi, I think maybe I was indoctrinated. <laughs> so, you got that. That's from your Pepsi. Yeah, I've been propagating. I'm a diet Pepsi girl, man. That's my drink see? of choice. See, it's because it's a millennial thing. Maybe. Um, so anyway, then they do like this whole montage uh, to show the next, I would say, 
16 to 18 years because of well, so they they for a little while he's a cab driver and then he makes another friend um, oh right she's still pregnant then you're yeah, right yeah, yeah my bad so they escape and then he becomes a cab driver slightly uh, it was borrowed it was like a, it got a little touch and go in terms of offensiveness he was a cab driver wearing a wrap around his cone very yeah. seat like um now Sinbad did tell him he needed to get a hat you yeah. know because Sinbad went through why he needed to assimilate like you gotta do something with that head Given and get your teeth fixed <laughs> so he got his teeth fixed so he's a cab driver and once again model minority right so he's working all kinds of shifts because he doesn't rely on sleep as much as America or as humans do so he's this model minority churning out all kinds of important um cab driving to help this dude who's letting them live in his one of his apartments but then the baby's coming so she's pregnant i don't know if i mentioned that but primat's pregnant they were on the run right after yeah and then um she has the baby and then she's like and this is a very like this could only happen in the 90s to boomers who are white, where she's like, why don't we just go buy this ranch home in New Jersey? It's 9000 down. Um, she's been saving his money. She's been saving his money. Cash so, roll. Throughout the film. So I would say even though Beldar is kind of seen as like being totally more advanced and a good worker, um, because by virtue of his uh, that's a little tricky but because he's an alien right uh i would say primat's the actual smart one so right. at this point she saved their asses from the ins like she's like we gotta get the fuck out of here and guided mm -hmm. him out and then now she's like we gotta like buy a house because we're gonna have a kid and yeah. he's like with what money and she's like i've been saving all your money right you work so much She's like, what do you think house. is happening? And I, but I will say he's fairly compensated, which is not always the case for a lot of immigrants, especially no. when they're, you know, undocumented. I mean, the first day when he, Sinbad tipped him out like a thousand dollars for all of his work that day because he made more money than he's ever made. And that's great. And maybe there are some bosses that do that, but most of the ones that hire mm. and he didn't know that that he was undocumented. He just assumed he wasn't. But like most bosses don't do that. And and that would be a lot of help <laughs> if stuff yeah. like that really happened. But he does right. get fairly compensated, which is a different than many immigrant experience. Right. So it is still very much the American dream. But at this point, the two people who have employed him and supported him are non-white individuals. Right. <laughs> Which is pretty, I would say, like immigrants help immigrants. There's, you know, yeah, um, there's that kind of camaraderie. So they end up in Jersey in a ranch style home. Uh, and then there's the montage. Yes. With that song first of all you know i listen we've talked about this before i listened to things on um with the yeah. closed captioning on i didn't know the words to that song and i thought it was different but that song that um 
that like song about having a camera it's is like all permanently stuck in my head yeah kodachrome <laughs> by paul simon it's permanently stuck in my head with that montage i get it stuck in my head all the time and i see that montage from the movie but it's it skips it that montage shows her as a kid which is dan Aykroyd's daughter i saw that yeah mm-hmm. she wanted to be she saw him Danielle. with the cone <laughs> and she was like she was like i want a cone and he's like well if you're getting a cone you gotta work for it <laughs> put it in the movie <laughs> that's so cute it is cute but and it shows the that first 18 years I mean, 17 years because she's well, I mean, let's get into that. So, yeah. So then it's like fast forward. They have a teen daughter. And this is very much sets you up to have the tension between an immigrant, the immigrant, first generation immigrants and their Americanized daughter, which I can relate to. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's a different vibe when your parents aren't from your country. (laughs) because so their daughter grows up sounding just like an american wanting to do you know american things excels excellent excellent diver excellent cheerleader all kinds of popular right no one once mentions her cone head nope no one makes fun of it they even she even gets like a little semi-permanent tattoo on it she's She's got two best friends who here are some more cult classic queens. Yep. Her two best friends are Parker Posey Mm -hmm. and Joey Lauren Adams. Right. Which if you know anything about any kind of cult classics, you love both those women. Yeah. (laughs) Kevin Smith films, dark comedies. They're They're in all of them. Yep, every single one of them. So, yeah, that's what I loved about this film is like everywhere you looked, even when there were actresses like Joey Lord and Adams and Parker Posey who were kind of not well known at the time. Right. Now you're watching, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. That's Parker. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And when Ellen shows up as a swim coach, I was like, is it Ellen? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know she was in Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> yeah. shows is- up as a swim coach um so at this point primat is a stay-at-home mom and wife mm-hmm. so they assimilated to the american nuclear family traditional gender roles ha- kind of ha- situation yep and beldar is a driving school instructor right they never mention how so they change their names to Cone, the last names to Conehead suddenly. Yep. They just take their real names. Yeah. Well, their real names were, last names were Chlorhone. Oh, okay. They changed it to Conehead. They don't ever address anything like, oh, how'd they do it? I mean, I don't know if credit checks actually existed back then. Like, how'd they get through credit che- Like, I had to do so much shit when I bought my house. Right. Like I had to prove so much about myself, right. but you know, that's in the 2000, the 2010s. Um, but also, uh, how do you get a driver's license? Like they just kind of glaze over the whole, like the issues that faced him before as an immigrant are no longer issues. And then they've just fully assimilated into society 
people love them people understand what they're saying so there's no communication breakdowns well and you know like they go on the we are from france that's their story and a lot of like the french executives did not want that to stay in the film they were mad about it but i'm like yo that is a country that in 1993 no one would have cared right you so, know in 2001 we called them american fries because yeah. french didn't do anything no. about them. <laughs> no we called them freedom fries freedom fries <laughs> fuck you france dude fuck i was anti-war okay. stance. when i moved to southwestern fort myers i mean southwestern florida I had couldn't find a job at first and I was waitressing at this terrible restaurant called Bow Campers and they still called them Freedom Fries and I was like, fuck this place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so mad. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> um, so but no, that's a good point. So they were um they got away with saying, I mean, the two actors, they're white people. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um so they got away with like just being like we're from France and people were like okay and I I did think of that as a theme that um you know white immigrants you know I'm where I'm married to one uh and I would say that my my white immigrant husband who is who you would call a high skilled immigrant right is definitely treated differently than what you would call a non-white low skilled immigrant yeah well, and you know, one of the things I thought about while we watch this movie through this kind of critical lens is that what the storyline started very similarly to what we hear from a lot of people. People who are doctors in their countries come here and they can only be a cab driver. Mm-hmm. I did think it was like a little interesting of a choice that they made them. Uh, I guess that that l- allowed the Jan Hook storyline to happen, um, but that he was uh, like, he could have just been an engineer, right? But they still kept him in kind of like a like a fine job. Like, you know, driving instructor. I don't see how you could make a ton of money off that job, but maybe, I don't know. They and made enough to buy like seven packs of Pop-Tarts every morning. That's true. There's a lot of money on the Pop-Tarts. No, it was $58 a lesson, which let me see. I'm going to look up how much that is in dollars today. Okay, while you do that, do you want me to talk about the Jan Hook storyline? Yes. Because it kind of goes, so it's funny because uh, Diane and I, before we started, this is your insider info, we were talking about like student crushes on professors. And that's the same, that's the line that he used, right? Like, I understand I am your driving instructor and that makes you have certain feelings about me. <laughs> and she's like, but Jan Hook's another Saturday Night Live alum, also a big alum from Pee Wee great adventure which we eventually have to watch um but she she like loves him and tries to kiss him and he's like stop it <laughs> and then um and but the neighbor their neighbor has already gotten primar marts now i'm messing up the name jane Curtin's character all in a tizzy thinking that her husband is going to cheat on her with this with this woman because she's taken so many driving lessons and she shouldn't be taking driving lessons that many times. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of like almost love triangle and he's so oblivious to it. Did you mean to bring that up in context of this? And I just wasn't catching it until right now. I am. I am sober. Did I bring up the stuff we talked off- offline yeah. about? Yeah. 
No, I, 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 don't, I don't think we should retrace how we got no. to that conversation <laughs> offline because then I would be naming names I should not be naming. Yeah. I um, don't want to get sued, Jess. I don't want to get sued. <laughs> but, anyway, so um, $58 was worth $125. I guess. Yeah, I guess if you do that five lessons a day, that's quite a chunk of change, $2,500 a week. Which is significant because your money went, I mean, a hundred, you know, like 58 bucks. I mean, that went a lot. Yeah. It went a lot further. It went a lot further than 125 does today. Today. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. um, Yeah. Yeah. But it does, it does, when you talk about this kind of like typical woman role that like they kind of fell into this patriarchal roles then Jane Curtin has these like very kind of common feelings that women in their forties often feel. They yep. feel unattractive to their husband. They feel like they need to do something extra. They drop hints, but their, their husband is uh, a little not paying attention and it's not, not out of love. It's just, he's like oblivious to it in a very dude way. And it takes like some work for her to get him to be interested. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I feel like this film has three arcs, like three parts. So you have the part that shows you how they ended up in suburbia. So that, you know, part one is from crash to suburbia. Part two is what I would just like kind of classify as essentially just like a suburban kind of comedy, quirky kind of like, because all they're dealing with at this point are more domestic issues so um the stuff related to primat not feeling attractive her worrying that her husband's gonna cheat um also them having to deal with raising a daughter who's assimilated to um human earth american life when Mm -hmm. they're like you you know like you gotta aim higher dating a loser then she's she's dating a fucking loser who's chris farley um so rip to him but yeah the character i would be mad yeah yeah. we're about to get into that right so um (laughs) and then there's a third part that i would say becomes more sci-fi action Mm -hmm. so we're still in this part so their daughter's connie Mm -hmm. connie conehead short for con jab which is like vaguely south asian mm-hmm. um which is interesting but um she essentially um she represents you know like a teenager in the 90s so she right. got a tattoo she's dressing a certain way she's doing her makeup a certain way she's just kind of she's still really well behaved but th- they're having issues with her growing up Mm-hmm. Um, and then the primary issue is that she meets Ronnie. Connie meets Ronnie. Ronnie's a mechanic, clearly older than her. I mean, yeah, he's like, I, I didn't fix the car on time. She's, you know, she's just as smart as her dad. She's like, I just am wondering why it took so long. She names all these tools that they have, and she's like, to fix such a simple thing. And he's like, maybe because I was finishing a beer out back. And that was the turn and she's on? so fucking charmed by it. <laughs> like that would have been like literally bro. to show that they have chemistry where she's like, 
it's not that hard to do your job. Why didn't you do it? And he's like, maybe because I was drinking instead. And then she's like giggles. And then like, she's like fully fucking into him. So then there's, you know, some scenes. Now, listen, I want to say this is an embarrassing story time. I'm not saying Chris Farley couldn't be attractive as a person because he was very funny. And maybe my first boyfriend was a fat guy who put on his friend's coat and said fat guy in a little coat. And I was like, I'm going to date that guy because I thought <laughs> he was funny. But th- that was not the pickup. So I just want to insert that. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'll just say also, just because I feel bad, because we're I'm about to get real mean about Chris Farley's character. Um, I love Chris Farley. Chris Farley uh, was in a lot of films. We should probably watch some of them. Um, he's in a lot of great movies when he was alive. He, um, I was very sad when he died, and yeah. also when another star of this film, mm, Phil, Phil Hartman. Hartman one of the most heartbreaking deaths I've that's that's an awful deaths. one and I think they both died during the same year or within a year of each other yeah close very to heartbreaking um so and they both died in very very tragic ways mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse was involved in both and what I mean by Phil's he died in 1988 Chris Farley died in um 97 Phil was murdered by his wife who had an addiction. Yeah. Anyway, very sad. And it was a murder-suicide, right? Yep. Yeah. Oof. Now let's get back to how- So let's talk about why Ronnie is a shithead, not Chris Farley. Ronnie fucking sucks. Chris (laughs) Farley, this isn't about you. This is about (laughs) your character, Ronnie Bradford. Um, He's like, what do you think? You think, like, I actually looked up the ages of the actors. He was um, 29. The actress was about 23. But in the film, she's like 17, 18, maybe. Yeah. And how do you think he he's supposed to so be? So my thought process was he was like 23 or 24 because I think any older than that, then that would have had to be addressed. Because Beldar eventually accepts it, right? Like, he goes to prom. Like, at some point, or whatever that event was, was it a Halloween? He goes to some kind of dance with her. And, like, to go out with a high school kid like that, you know, like, it couldn't have been too much older than that. And I don't know, honestly, because I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, like, that was a little before, you know, it was 10 years before I went to, well, no. It was only seven years before I graduated high school. But, you know, I'm thinking I like now. I think it's less acceptable than it used to be to date someone outside of high school. Oh, yeah. So I don't like clearly we've gotten a lot into how I watched a lot of films uh, when I was younger that had these relationships. I personally, I only dated one high school boy when I was in high school everyone else was in college Mm. and then when I was in college I was kind of like it's got to be grad school or higher (laughs) so like every time I was like dating someone I was like no they they have to like I always thought I was like precocious older whatever and no one really batted an eye like they're like oh she's like 17 like dating like a 22 year old like who cares you know yeah 
Um, and I do think it's changed a lot. That culture has changed a whole lot. Good. And that. that's, thank God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, thank goodness or that that has happened. Whatever. Because um, as Nikki Glaser has said, the comedian Nikki Glaser, she said, if you are a man saying that a young woman is old for her or mature for her age, either she's not really and you're deluding yourself or she is and she needs to fucking heal. So leave her alone. Yes, yes, Nikki Glaser. Because those of us who uh, grew up more precocious than our counterparts did so due to some kind of childhood trauma you had to yeah, yeah exactly i didn't in date this case she's really smart but she's not she's not dating a grad student or anything she's dating right. a dipshit i don't yeah. know what is what at all made her attracted to ronnie but he's super into her because she can eat a subway sandwich in like 12 seconds like a yep. foot long more product placement subway remember back in the day when like taking someone to subway would have been a nice date no can you imagine today in today's society like can you imagine like being like we couldn't eat there taking on our first gluten issues. <laughs> oh yeah imagine if someone tried to take us for a sub cancel immediately sometimes i do when i want to feel something because like it's <laughs> Sometimes it's better to feel paid than nothing. Oh no, I seriously I I did I swear to God, I'm telling myself. I went to a subway pretty recently and there was a very sad news thing that happened that I don't want to get into. And I was really sad and I was in the subway and the guy was like the subway guy was like, um, hey, how's it going today? And then I just like gave him this weird look and he goes. And he said something, I can't remember. And I went, I'm trying to figure out if I should tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story is Subway should uh, respond to us because we use you all as our therapists. Thank you. <laughs> also, get a quality gluten-free bread and I will be back there because your pickles rock. He goes, he goes, well, at least your, um, your glasses look nice. Like Aww. he tried to like you know how like when people want Aww, to, a little bug you just they try to, to like compliment something. you and I'm like that's not gonna stop the war but <laughs> cool I was like yeah I got that going for me and I went I went war who cares I literally said that Boy, sorry uh, to that subway I guess I owe, I should next I owe him an apology maybe anyway um <laughs> side note so Ronnie is also a fucking creep so they start dating. Ronnie and Connie start dating and then there's a moment when Ronnie is like really sexually aggressive mm-hmm. and I was watching I was like oh I forgot about this part Diane's gonna be pissed it was I was pissed upsetting. too um, yeah but then um Beldar handles it and uses a little physical intimidation yep when he finds out um and then Ronnie tries to get Connie back. So this is like becomes part of the big part of the storyline is their relationship. Beldar's mm-hmm. opposed to it. Connie's ignoring Ronnie. And then how does Ronnie get Connie back? By stalking her. And going to trying to go to the dad. Ugh. He tried to talk the dad into saying something to her, which is total creep behavior. It's like man on man. And then she apologizes to him. 
So he stalks her dad too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he stalks Beldar, tries to talk to Beldar, and then he stalks her. Um, and then what did you just say? And then she apologized to him. Yeah. So then she's ignoring him this whole time mm -hmm. when he's stalking her. He goes there to swim meet. He goes, uh, I can't remember where else, but he's following her places and she's ignoring him. He's trying to call her. She's ignoring him. She's giving him every signal to leave her alone. Then she's cheerleading and he um, walks up to her again being creepy. And then she just turns around and was like, I'm sorry. It's been right. me. It's a me thing. It's all me. We're good. Yeah. That's it. That's Nothing. how it's resolved. Happily ever was, after. Yep. Yep. Uh, I he think does, he does he have a, a tiny bit. bit of a redeeming story. Oh. I was going to say he expressed remorse a little bit where he For was sure. like, I was a fucking idiot. But also yeah. you're in your 20s, dude, and you're fucking with a teenager. You're probably going to ruin her future because you're dipshit. Um, cut it out. Right. <laughs> Let's go. Take the win. You should you shouldn't even been there, buddy. Know your number. You're a four. She's a 10. You have no business trying to push shit on her. No one ever has any business trying to push it on anybody. That is not what I'm saying. But like, particularly in this case, bro, you should be kissing her ass all the time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So it just becomes like uh, exploring issues of suburban life. Yeah. But through the lens of the Coneheads. And then they finally get the call. They're back. They call that it's time to go back finally. At the same time, Turnbull and Seedling. So Seedling was up for a commissioner role. Mm -hmm. And somehow the fact that he tried to bust them before, now known as Coneheads, he tried to bust them before and he spent, I think they said a quarter of a million dollars yeah. on the operation to try to bust them. And so they get the Senate is doing a confirmation hearing and they're like, um, yeah, because he drops the case when he gets a promotion. He's like, yeah. fuck it. He's like, I don't care. I, I because did they tried this. twice. They tried when they were in the trailer behind Sinbad's place. And then they tried again. Um, then when the they moved in with the taxi yeah. driver right so he gives up which is like kind of funny so you and i have both studied like public admin mm -hmm. and that is pretty appropriate for how what you would Absolutely. see like a a political appointee or a career um job hopper would do mm -hmm. so it, it's not on it's not unlike real life that when a career administrator comes in to a job that they try to make a lot of big sweeping changes and not because they care they usually right. do it because they're trying to hop to another job and right. then when that when they get that other opportunity they're like oh peace well, out i'm done with this now bye and that that's like really a well-known kind of thing in our yep. in our field Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happened in the movie. But then it comes back to Biden because then they're like, you kind of spent a lot of money. And you didn't end up with these people. So then Seedling and Turnbull are on a quest to find them. Yep. Somehow in the uh, 
in the course of events where they get essentially abducted back into to go back to their home planet when they get um i would just call it abducted turnbull and seedling end up with them right because he doesn't want to let him go we should say we didn't say earlier when he got very excited when seedling got very excited is when he realized they were out of space aliens and he did realize that before he left the job and even then he knew that they were out of space aliens in America, he was like, ah, fuck it, I got a new job. So now he knows. <laughs> He's like, you're not getting away from me again because he knows his promotion. He grabs onto the car, which, by the way, the reason they were able to get away is because Ronnie did a diversion and rode off in the motorcycle for them because he was having conehead version of sex with the daughter when they walked in. So then they made him help. Conehead <laughs> version so of sex. Weird. It was Can so we weird. Can we talk about that for a second? So the parents thing. Look, look. Uh-huh. What'd you say? They were using their parents' mating the, tools. The way that they fuck is like they put these like weird tinsel crowns on top on of their, their head. cone heads. And then which, touch hands. Yeah, and like so Connie's ready to do that with Ronnie and you walk in like the Primat and Beldar walk in on them and, and they're using like, the parents sex co- sex hoops yep and also Ronnie is sweating so much like right. like it grossed me the fuck out it's like having a 40 minute orgasm <laughs> like bleh. okay let's talk real life no one wants a 40 minute orgasm nope. <laughs> it sounds yeah. terrible terrible that's anyway. just like i mean if we're getting into like heteronormative sex that's like a one-way ticket to a uti right yeah yeah well luckily they're just doing it through their hands so i guess through just wash hands. them after it's gross anyway <laughs> anyway so they end <laughs> up <laughs> so they get so the both david spade and whatever his name is get taken up into the ship with them. And they head back to Remy Lock. Yes. Which is supposed to be this beautiful place. And they had to come. And when they get there, they're expected to show the emperor. Is that what he was? Um, His, their The high master. The high master gifts. So they give the two. uh, Who is played by other comedy legend, Dave Thomas. Yep. (sighs) So good. So many people. (laughs) And... Mm -hmm. So he has to come up. He gives them uh, their um, the two men. He give what else does he give him besides the condom, which we haven't. Done. He gave him a condom and called it chewing gum, which we saw early in the movie that he chews condoms as chewing gum. And then he also gave him a tire iron. Oh yeah. And everything was going grand until they figured out that Beldar had capped his teeth. Instead of keeping his pointy teeth, and then he sent them to, to it's treat seen as treason treasonous, yeah. Narfal the Garthok. Then he's got to fight this monster that comes when the three moons align, which is old school. So on the whole movie, we're looking at it like this is such an advanced society, and then they're having like old school ancient Roman times death matches. Which I thought was kind of interesting. So I have a fun fact about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the initial writer of this film, Tom Davis, 
Mm-hmm. He ended up dropping out of the film and Bonnie Turner and Terry Turner took over. And here's why. He was upset with the direction the film was going in. And one of his main gripes was he didn't like that it that the producers essentially wanted it to be a gladiator type scene. Mm-hmm. He wanted it to take place in suburbia. Oh, okay. which I think he wanted to kind of be more on the nose about like suburbia as hell or something. Oh, that would have been interesting. And then the producer's like, no, that's like too much. Of, I'm just conjecture right now, but like that's too much of a commentary on capitalism and assimilation. Because I think this movie was a big social commentary, but I did not notice it until this time. Right. They did a very good job hiding this shit. Well, well, what's funny, you say that like as if this was a film that was um, like created with like earnest intentions to be like, let's be let's do a satire of the immigration system. When Dan Aykroyd created the sketch, so he's the creator of the sketch, he said that uh, when he asked what inspired him to create create it. He said marijuana consumption. (laughs) So it just turned out to be an accidental surprise of an intense social commentary. Yeah. I will say, though, this movie, not for nothing, like the acting is exquisite. (laughs) Like Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin never break. It is like, and I know they would cut out the break scenes, but they're so committed and 100% these characters. I'm like, yo, is Dan Aykroyd a phenomenal actor? Because <laughs> in Ghostbusters, it wasn't like this. And I don't think it was that big of a deal in My Girl either. But I just I just thought their performances were <laughs> Maybe I was high when I watched it. Um, so... I, I would say it's this hard is one of those few to... places that I wish we were videotaping us like because if you could see Diane's face to my statement I feel like I just disappointed her she's gonna find a new a new podcast me no I'm trying to figure out what I want to say about this because I I get the impression that Dan Aykroyd is a little bit awkward and like kind of dry in his real life so it kind of makes me wonder like yeah it would make sense that he could play an alien who like well well and so one of the stories from this movie and i was trying to figure out if it was accurate or not i found a couple articles about it was that so i guess dan Aykroyd's assistant was treated badly by the security people so he like drove over to security and tossed the fucking room like went in in his conehead outfit tossed the thing the girl security guard had to like go take a sick day because she was hyperventilating because he was like don't you treat my people like this but then became this fucking monster and like tossed the room and i was like yeah i was kind of surprised so yeah and that's one of those things like in one hand i'm glad he's sticking up for his people but uh I think he went back later. Is it even the same people? I don't know. All right. Sorry. Keep going. They're having their barbarian moment. So yeah. they're in the, yeah. So that so, was a weird part, like, but they all watched it. Yeah. And it does look a lot like some of the scenes remind me of Conan the Barbarian, like yeah. rolling down the steps. So probably a parody of that. 
Uh, yeah. So he, he wins. He gets yeah. to get anything he wants, and he wants to quote unquote take over the earth, which is all just him lying so he could bring his daughter back home because of her love for Ronnie, which like the dumbest fucking reason. And like her home, maybe he really, you know, like part of it was is that he's talking about this place. Oh my God, I can't wait to get back to Remulac. It's going to be so amazing. And he gets there and he gets sent into a pit with a monster. Compared, Well, and so that makes me think about the life of an immigrant who has been who has assimilated another culture. So at one point he gets, when he's in trouble, someone else with him, Phil Hartman's character, Marlax is like, he had to, he had to like adjust to the customs there. That's why he capped his teeth. But it does touch on, you know, how, if you are from a certain country, you're not necessarily seen as, as legitimate when you return because you have some mannerisms or some cultural aspects of the country you went to. So in my case, I would say I'm two Middle Eastern for my American side and then two American for the Middle Eastern side of my family for similar reasons. So um, I don't know. I'm sure they didn't try to make it that deep, but that's what happened. Um, But anyway, let's get into our least favorite, most favorite, and cringiest. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. So my two cringiest was the beer comment for that being the turn on. And yeah. chewing condoms. Like every time he did it, I was like, I like, had a visceral reaction to every time he chewed the condom and blew a bubble with it. That was really gross. Um, for the hate in it, it's, it was just like, like how real some of the situations, they had a, a lucky swing of events, but I was like, man, this isn't so far off from the reality. A lot of people deal with, and I fucking hate that, Mm -hmm. but I loved it. I'm going to, cause I'm a sucker for love, you know, um, when, uh, Primat's feeling very uncomfortable, feeling like her husband is not interested in her. And she says something and he kind of blows her off. Oh, she asked him, what would you do if I died? And he's like, he went through all the practical things he would do. And she like, was like, I'll cremate you. Yeah. yeah. And he was clearly really upset. And then she was kind of upset with that answer. And then he said, if for some reason your life function ceased, my most precious one, I would collapse. I would draw the shades and I would live in the dark. I would never get out of my slar pad or clean myself. My fluids would coagulate. My cone would shrivel and I would die miserable and lonely. The stench would be great. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) like that's what she needed in that. And she was like... I feel so good right now. Like, is right. what she's saying? And I, you know, I, I have kind of different opinions of like what, you know, we both have long-term, like we're both married. So I'm sure you have had, but I have had the conversation, like if I die, yeah, like go for it, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of my thought process, Sure, but, but I just, I just love that moment of even in this kind of like very mechanical relationship that they both are very like, I don't have a better word for it. They're both very, a little robotic to how 
I'm used to humans interacting with each other and because they're not human, right? <laughs> but but there was this like this beautiful little moment that just showed at the end of the day, this movie is about a a family that loved each other and give things up for each other. And that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's that's my three. Okay. What about you? Well, the cringiest was the Chris Farley sweating yeah. during weird hand sex with a teenager um uh i would i always feel a little guilty when i don't get as serious as you do on that but i'm like yeah yeah, yeah, i know she'll cover that part i got this yeah (laughs) well and then i would say that my least favorite so we talked earlier about the scene where david spade is essentially telling people no telling them to fuck off yeah Um, and they're all immigrants who need paperwork done for one reason or the other and it is a parody. trying to do it right yeah and it is a parody but that is kind of how it works in government like mm-hmm. one person really does have the discretion to decide whether or not they move forward with your application whether or not they move forward with granting you a green card it usually is up yeah to one person right. uh, you know i've seen a few people go through the interview process um i've seen family members of people i know get turned down immediately Mm -hmm. um and it is really up to the discretion of one person so you know that that's an uncomfortable thing and also i was uncomfortable at some of the jokes because um at one point um sneedling's trying to guess the um country of origin for beldar and that, that was borderline offensive yeah um so um as far as favorite i think just overall i really appreciated those first two people who helped them mm-hmm. so sinbad and then the Sikh man yeah. um i i think that that's a very accurate portrayal of how um marginalized people help marginalized people Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and even when they went in the delivery room that was so cute because it was so gross and they're still trying to take pictures they're from like them. filming yeah. it and stuff mm-hmm. it was super cute um so just that support and like the support of like helping someone get acclimated to society I think um that's lovely and we and that actually does happen so right. um well what do you think so it touches on immigration like if so watching it today does it I mean, and I know we talk about like, oh, like it's sad that it passes the smell test. Is this one of those? (laughs) So because they win, right? Because then ultimately they win. It doesn't make the bad parts as sad. Does that make sense? Like, like the bad guys. I mean, it's a comedy. Right. So the bad guys lose. and, And that makes it like. And I think now, I think what the the difference in watching it now from when I was younger, besides the fact that I get more jokes because I'm an adult and it wasn't made for a 12-year-old or 13-year-old, but I think the part that lands better now is the bad guy is more of a bad guy, right? And that makes you root for the family more. So I do think it holds up because I do think that the trials and tribulations they go through are real that experiences that other people have specifically the idea of there's like high skilled workers in other countries that are, that look different, have to come here and take more menial jobs than they would have had to in their home countries 
or home planets to that to that effect. Um, but I I do think in a lot of spaces this really holds and I think it's still funny. And I love, love how many people like that just from my child, the nostalgia factor of this. I can't think of a movie that's more nostalgic because there's no way someone you didn't love from your childhood isn't in this movie. Oh, so you mentioned Adam Sandler. He's oh, yeah. the one who gives them the green card. The, yeah. This Desico. And that whole scene is just hilarious because mm-hmm. he, um, it's just peak Adam Sandler. So right. that was another favorite part is like just seeing all those people pop up. Yeah. Um, as for now, as- Adam Sandler is the fucking, he's the fashion icon, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um the other day I was at a Halloween party and I was telling that story. Um and I'll tell tell the group the story. And the um someone spit out their drink when I told them the answer. <laughs> I'm so, surprised there wasn't one because I have seen a ton of them probably. So I teach a class on pop culture and each week is a different pop culture genre. A few weeks ago, we had a fashion week where we discussed fashion. So I made all my students give me one, one in fashion influence on their life. And I said, it can be anybody. Some people said their grandparents, whatever. It could be anybody. Only one person came up twice. And that person was Adam Sandler. <laughs> so wild. So weird. And when I ask people about it, a lot of people will guess Taylor Swift. No one said Taylor Swift. Bananas. And no one said Kim Kardashian either, right? Right. But good. They certainly love Adam Sandler and they they love him as middle-aged dad Adam Sandler. Not even yeah. 90s Adam Sandler. They never met like, the crazy one. They're like I love Adam Sandler when he's wearing oversized basketball shorts and looks unkempt and has a big sweatshirt on that's what i love yeah all right so anyway he's a fashion icon for the kids i'm sure that that is the most shocking part of all because he seems like a decent dude right like when he's on stuff he seems kind oh yeah he seems like a solid dude henry winkler speaks very highly of him (laughs) i do love henry winkler too um yeah and so i agree with you um I, I do think it it ultimately passes the smell test. Uh, you know, it could have it could have gone way left in some areas. Yeah, you know, could have had like what Short Circuit did, making fun of immigrants. Right. Um, and they didn't. Like they no. they really they they really. I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but they 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 didn't make that a focal point that well, you know. Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off. No, Continue. I, I really think that that when we talk about like equity and inclusion, that's the heart of it, right? Because this movie was not made to be a social commentary. Like you said, he came up with the character because he was high. The reason it's a social commentary now in 2023 is because now in 2023, it is a political stance to be heartfelt. It is a political stance to be kind and to accept people. And so many people, they accepted everyone except for Ronnie, right? The dad was mad, but the dad should have been mad that, you know, they gave love and kindness to everyone they met in the same way that people treated them with kindness. And for some, like, 
It's we are at a point right now that kindness has become a revolutionary act. I had a student the other day. Did I send you that email, the text message from the kid that said, said I teach leftist commentary? Oh, <laughs> yeah. But this kid, but a kid said that I taught like leftist principles. And for sure, if you were to put me on the spectrum, you would not put me on the right, right, politically. But when I say things like Neil Gorsuch wrote a Supreme Court opinion that said, if you're talking about sexual orientation or you're talking about gender identity, you are talking about sex. So it falls in the same level of protection as everyone else. Neil Gorsuch, the fucking conservative originalist, I'm quoting originalist because what a stupid fucking argument that is. But that to a kid reads as leftist, right? Nowadays, these yep. days. Basic saying that the America cannot have a religion because of the establishment clause. So a president saying we're a Christian nation is fucking illegal by our constitution. Those kind of things because they establish it because they have the authority to establish it like that in people's minds and apparent authority, right? That shit is not leftist. Just like this isn't meant to be a social commentary. It's meant to be a movie with heart and comedy. Mm -hmm. And it makes it a social commentary because kindness is somehow revolutionary in 2023. Right. And immigrants aren't seen as fascinating or people we can learn from or contributors. Right society they're seen as a threat right so now it's switched where uh sneedlings like batshit crazy ideas are kind of taking hold in the some in a lot of loud spaces i don't know if that represents the majority but it's a lot of loud spaces right you get a lot of people these days who say stuff like well i i support them if they come in the right way right but then the right way is laden with administrative burden and there's certain countries currently that are banned from even coming in the right way so right. yeah so um thanks everybody for listening on that sorry note. for my sorry <laughs> for my rant but next week super fun movie we're gonna watch don't tell mom the babysitter's dead from diane yeah let's get into elder care and why this old woman was still having to work at her old age no, i'm just kidding <laughs> and now everyone thought christina applegate the world the treasure of the world was an <laughs> adult uh-huh uh-huh well we'll get into it so right. join us next week um and um follow us on instagram or twitter um instagram is the smell test podcast and then Twitter slash X is, I think, smell test pod. Cause I don't think yes. I was allowed to put podcast. Yeah. I think it was too many characters. So Probably. follow us. Um, if you want to suggest a film or if you want to be a guest star, go ahead and email us at. Yes, please. Smell test podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. And have thanks, a great Thanks, y'all.